Go ahead and turn in your Bible to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. And we're going to be looking at verses 40 through 52 this morning. John chapter 7, 40 through 52. While you're turning there, let me just once again welcome all that are visiting for the first time. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Tyler Cash. I have the joy and privilege of serving as one of the elders to this uh, body of believers that gather under the name Christ Covenant Fellowship. Uh, we're happy to have you. Uh, grateful that you were with us this morning. John chapter 7, verses 40 through 52. I'll be preaching from the ESV. If you need a copy of God's Word, we have some in the back on the table. The connection table, feel free to get up, grab you one, raise your hand. An usher will see you too. They can grab you one if you need one. Uh, you can have one of those. It's our gift to you. John chapter 7, verse 40. I'm going to read this for us. I'm going to pray for our time, and then we will look at God's Word. John chapter 7, verse 40 reads this. Would you hear the word of our Lord? When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was. So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Verse 45, the officers that came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Would you join me as we pray and ask God for his help? Uh, Father, we are grateful to be gathered together this morning that you would give us this day to worship you. It is far beyond anything that we deserve. So we gather now as your people singing your praises, expectant that we would hear from you according to your word. I pray, Father, that your word would do what it's meant to do, that your word would not return void, that it would apply in the ways needed for each and every individual here today. I ask that your spirit would rest upon me as I proclaim the truths of Scripture your way. Simply we ask what we know not you would teach us. 
What we are not, you would make us, and what we have not, you would give us, by your grace, for your glory, and God's people said, amen. So on Wednesday, April the 10th of 1912, around 2,400 passengers on the Titanic set sail from Southampton, England, on a voyage to New York City. At this time, the Titanic was the largest passenger ship ever to be constructed, was deemed by many to be undestructible based upon the technology that was used to build this massive watercraft. The people aboard the ship enjoyed a few days of celebration on their voyage as they made stops in France and Ireland along the way. But as you likely know, their joyous celebration was short-lived. And unfortunately, on April the 14th, the Titanic tragically struck an iceberg and sank only three short hours later. This tragedy claimed the lives of over 1,500 people. And many say it could have easily been avoided by a few minor details, a few simple things that could have avoided this tragedy that most are aware of. However, the most predominant factor that led to their demise was very simple. The crew failed to respond to the warnings that were given to them by other cruise ships that were ahead of them, that were aware of the situation. Some say there were over 15 warnings that were presented to the crew that telling them that they needed to slow down or they needed to stop in order to avoid a imminent demise that was ahead if they continued on their journey. But this proclamation uh, made no ground. Those that were leading the ship ignored the messages. They did not provide the message to the captain and tell him, hey, this is what we're hearing. Instead, they, they said, stop. We don't want to hear what you have to say. Literally, the messenger that received the messages from others told them to stop. Said, stop. We have other important things to do. Brothers and sisters, this tragic story reminds us that people's responses matter. It matters how we respond to important details and to real things that we hear in our lives. And the most significant response that anyone will ever make in their life is how they respond to the claims of Jesus Christ is the most important response that you and I and every man, woman, child to ever walk this earth will make. How do we respond to Jesus? Last week, Pastor Brandon preached through verses 37 through 39 in which Jesus proclaimed that he is the source of living water. Uh, if you recall, this is the same message that Jesus gave to the Samaritan woman uh, that he met back at chapter 4. 
And what Jesus is essentially saying here is that he is the source of eternal life. He is the one that can provide eternal, lasting, substance, sustainability, hope in the need of everything you can ever imagine. The only salvation that is to be found is in him and him alone. Jesus is saying here, I am satisfaction. If you're thirsty, he said, come to me. Come, thirst, I will provide what you need. And what a promise from our Savior. Uh, This doesn't just stop then at our initial conversion. This continues on as we continue to go back to the rivers that never dry up in Christ and Christ alone. And this promise that Jesus has made has been made in the midst of a large crowd who was gathered at the very large festival, one of the most important holidays of their time. And this is where we pick up in verse 40 today. Verses 40 through 52, we see four different responses to these claims of Jesus Christ. Uh, We see four different things and ways that uh, groups of people respond to what Jesus has just said and really the person of Jesus Christ in whole. And these four responses are very widespread in our day, even today. Uh, They're very common. Uh, They're likely are, you will find yourself in uh, one of these same responses. My prayer is that by the end of our time today, that we will all find ourselves in the right response to Jesus Christ. But let me give us these four responses here and We'll look at these together. First, we'll see confusion. Second, curiosity. Third, contention. And fourth, confession. Confusion, curiosity, contention, and confession. Let's first look at those that respond with confusion. We see this immediately in verse 40. It says, when they heard these words, some of the people, notice that, right? Some of the people, the group that was there, said, this really is the prophet. So John tells us here that there are some that are confused here as they proceed to call Jesus the prophet. Now, Jesus does fulfill the role of prophet in the threefold office of Christ, but here what they're claiming Jesus to be is not that. Uh, This was likely a reference to Moses' words in Deuteronomy 18.15, where Moses says, the Lord, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you from your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. If you recall, God used Moses to draw water from a rock to provide for the Israelites in the wilderness. So Jesus' words here of 
living water, that he's the one that will provide living water for them, could have reminded this crowd of Moses. And so this would then cause this crowd to put Jesus in the same category as Moses. They're like, well, this is likely the prophet that Moses spoke about. In this context, the prophet and the Messiah are clearly distinguished. The prophet was thought to be the forerunner of the Messiah, that he would prophesy of the Messiah's arrival. So although they don't recognize Jesus as just your average Joe, they're not just saying, like, this is just some average guy over here. They don't really truly recognize who Jesus Christ actually is. Their response to the claims of Christ are confused. But that's not all. There are more that are confused about Jesus as well. I want you to look at the second part of verse 41. We read, but some said, so here's another group, some, it's another group of people here, said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So this crowd was aware of the scriptures. And they were aware that the scriptures said that the Messiah would be a descendant of the great King David and would be born in Bethlehem. I mean, they get this right. A number of passages point to this reality. Micah 2.5 is one of the most uh, prevalent ones. It reads, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, speaking of Bethlehem, shall come forth from, for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. So this is an Old Testament promise that is fulfilled in Christ. Because as we know, Jesus was indeed born where? In Bethlehem. He was born there. And God literally made this happen by orchestrating a census to uh, bring his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, there to fulfill this prophecy. So, so God causes this to be fulfilled. And here, the promised Messiah, the one born of the lineage of David, born in the town of Bethlehem, the one who fulfilled all prophecies, Jesus Christ himself is standing in their midst. And they wrongly ascribe a birthplace that derails their journey to truth. They said, this guy's born in Galilee. This isn't where he's supposed to be born. And they were wrong. They were wrong the whole time. And brothers and sisters, isn't this the case for many today? There are many that are confused about the facts. There are many that get things convoluted and then they, they allow those things to derail them from the truth of who Jesus Christ is. They misinterpret or misconstrue the truth about Jesus Christ. 
They then impose their own ideas which lead them to confusion and misunderstanding. And listen, this group had a golden opportunity, didn't it? Why didn't they just ask him? He's right there. Just ask him, hey, Jesus, where were you born? I mean, that was a very simple way to get to the truth. But instead, their confusion, their ideas stopped them from the truth. They don't ask. They develop this caricature of Jesus that fits their own ideas. They, they allow these ideas to, to form in their minds, and it builds walls against their Savior. Harry Ironside, who was a very popular evangelist many years ago, he traveled the world preaching the gospel to uh, many places and people, and he was one of the apologetics of his time, an apologist, and, and gave himself to the work of declaring and proclaiming the gospel over and over again. And he said this. He said, I have never met an infidel, and that just means an unbeliever, who has ever read one serious book of Christian evidence. Now, that's not always the case. There could be exceptions to that rule. But that is very common thread in our society. Have you ever had a conversation with someone that doesn't believe the claims of Christ? They don't believe the claims of the Bible. They've developed their own idea and framework of truth. And you start to press in and ask them, well, how did you develop that? And have you searched the scriptures? Have you looked for the right answers? And nine times out of ten, you will find that they have not. They've allowed their ideas to be formed by just some ideas, some false thinking, some different things that they believe are the right way to proceed. Friend, maybe you today are confused about Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here in this gathering and because a friend brought you, because you, you want to just, you, you want to see what is going on, and maybe you have some confusion about who Jesus Christ is. Maybe you think something different about Jesus than what the Bible actually teaches. Or maybe you know someone that's confused. Maybe there's someone in your life that you can think of even right now that is confused on who Jesus Christ is. And if so, I want to just encourage you, seek truth. Seek the truth. Move forward in a way that would help you to, to find the truth of who Christ is. Find the answers you are looking for. I mean, the answers are there. In our day and age, we, we have so many resources with the World Wide Web, don't we? I mean, it's, it's right at our fingertips. There's just so much that we can find. There's a, some rabbit trails you can go down. There's some, some bad trails you can go down. But there are some really good things and resources. But most importantly, we have God's Word. We have everything we need here. I just want to encourage you, seek truth. Listen, God's not scared of your questions. 
The Bible's not scared of your questions. Not afraid of whatever confusion you may have. The truth is there. Psalm 119, 160 reminds us. The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. You know what forever is? Forever. Truth will always endure. Truth always stands strong, and it cannot be shaken by misconceptions or lies. I want to encourage you, don't let confusion stand in the way of your salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Next, I want to look here at those who responded with curiosity. Those who responded with curiosity. I want you to look down to verse 45 with me. It says, The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. Now, let's stop right there. If you recall back in verse 32, we looked at that a couple weeks ago, the Pharisees and the chief priests, uh, they put out a warrant for Jesus' arrest. Remember? We talked about that. They, they said, go get him. There's an arrest warrant. We, we want him to be arrested for what he is doing. Uh, they sent officers to arrest him. They, they said, go and get him. They didn't like what Jesus is saying. Jesus is in the temple, so the temple officers actually had jurisdiction there. And so they, they go. They, they follow the orders of their leaders, and they go to arrest Jesus. But here we see something very telling. We see that they've returned, right? But what are they missing? Jesus. Jesus is not with them. They, Jesus is not in cuffs. He's, he's not in ropes. He, he's not being, being presented to them as the way they wanted. They have failed to arrest Jesus. So they're asked, why didn't you deliver him? Very reasonable question. Why didn't you deliver him? We, we sent you to do a job. You had one job. How many times have we said that, right? You had, one, you had one job. You had one job. Go get Jesus. And you failed to deliver. They come back empty-handed. They don't bring Jesus to these Pharisees, the Sadducees. Now, it's important to note that the temple officers... Were, they weren't like heartless thugs. They weren't trained military killers. Uh, they weren't people that would have been uh, like a Roman guard here. Rather, they were Levites that were religiously trained. So these people spent a lot of time in the temple. Remember, they were the temple guards, the temple officers. And so they heard a lot of teaching. They, they heard a lot of the teaching that the, the Pharisees and the rabbis of the day would teach. So, so they were very familiar with the scriptures and teaching of God's word. So it's pretty apparent what happened, right? They go, 
They stand there, probably waiting for their time to act. But Jesus is teaching. And instead of them captivating Jesus, Jesus' teaching captivates them. Instead of them grabbing hold of him, he grabs a hold of them. Their teaching, his teaching, grabs their attention. It makes them stop to change their trajectory here, leaves them awestruck, causing them to abort their mission and return empty-handed. Church, once again, we see the power of Jesus' public teaching on display. Jesus was a bold, righteous teacher. I mean, this is the logos, the word that is here now, teaching, providing truth that people have never, ever heard. I mean, this is our Savior. I mean, these people say, no one ever spoke like this man. No one's ever talked like him. Like, we've spent a lot of time in these environments, but no one's ever talked like this. I mean, Jesus is presenting this, come to me if you're thirsty. I will provide, I will give you everything you need. And his words have caused these men to rethink their allegiance. Now, we don't read that they confess Christ as Lord and begin following him then. But because of the power of Jesus' teaching, their curiosity has grown and caused them further consideration. They've rethought what they're doing. There's another person in this section that responds with curiosity as well. Uh, Jump down to verse 50 with me. We see Nicodemus on the scene again. And it says, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Now, Nicodemus is here responding to the anger of the Pharisees, which we're going to look at here in just a minute. But I want us to first take note of Nicodemus' response as we focus on this theme of curiosity. This is the same Nicodemus that visited John, or Jesus back in John chapter 3, where what does he do? He basically asks Jesus, like, how can I be saved? How can someone be saved? How can we enter the kingdom of God? And what does Jesus respond? You must be born again. You, you must be born again. Or in other words, something supernatural needs to happen. Something has to happen within you to be born again, to to see God, to receive salvation, to see Christ as Lord. He says that is the new birth. He says it's a spiritual birth that is dependent on who? Dependent on God. And that's all we get there. 
We don't see Nicodemus repenting of his sins and believing in Jesus Christ as his substitute, then professing with his mouth that Jesus is Lord, which is the outward sign of the inward conversion. It's our response. That's our human responsibility. It shows that something has happened inwardly. But obviously, Nicodemus' time with Jesus has left a stamp. It's left an impression on Nicodemus. It's created some curiosity in him that has caused him to wonder if Jesus, if this guy, Jesus Christ, is really the Christ. The one that has been promised, the Messiah, the Savior to come. Is this him? And his curiosity has now caused him to literally stand up for Jesus in the face of his peers. Now, this is a bold move by Nicodemus, that he would stand up for Jesus and say, hey, wait a second, and essentially say the laws that you claim to follow actually say we must give this man a fair hearing. We must learn about Jesus. We must come to know more about him before we cast judgment on him. Nicodemus is standing up in a very courageous way in the midst of his circumstances. And he says, we've got to give him a fair trial. Let's learn more about this man before we determine his fate. I mean, here Nicodemus really, I mean, he really assaults his fellow Pharisees here. He essentially accuses the guardians of the law of being lawbreakers themselves. He says, what you're doing is wrong, and this is what we should do. Now, we know Nicodemus will indeed become a follower of Jesus Christ. His curiosity will lead him to faith in Jesus as his Savior. God used him as a part of the burial crew for Jesus to then set up the scene for the resurrection. So Nicodemus plays a, a great part in God's story. And by God's grace, Nicodemus' curiosity led him to the truth. And maybe this is where you are today. Maybe you're just kind of curious about this whole Jesus thing, this whole Christianity thing, the Bible, God. Maybe you have just some feelings of, like, I just want to learn a little bit more. And let me just say, curiosity is a great thing. I'm, I encourage our kids, ask questions. And then sometimes I regret it, but I, I encourage them, ask questions. And it's good, parents. Sometimes you need to give your kids the why. Sometimes they need to know, well, this is why this is being said. This is why this rule is in place. It's for your good, and here's why it's for your good, and it's protection. And, and there's so many tangible ways to disciple our children in that way and point them to then God's oversight and his love and his boundaries and his care for us as his children. 
Curiosity is good. Friends, ask questions. Keep pressing in. I want to encourage you, if you're curious today, man, keep showing up. Keep going to the Word. Keep listening to sermons. Keep talking to brothers and sisters that are believers. And keep learning and growing. Allow your curiosity to, to, to fuel your pursuit of Jesus. Listen, sometimes the process of conversion takes a little longer than others. I mean, that was Nicodemus's case. Sometimes it takes a little longer. So keep pressing in. Keep pleading with God. Ask God, change your heart. Say, God, will you change me? Help me to see Christ for who he is. Help me to see my need for a Savior. Help me to see Jesus as that Savior. And then let that propel me to worship you eternally. Ask God to to save you. Ask him to keep working in your heart. Humbly ask God that he would give you a heart that rightly responds to the claims of Jesus Christ. Third, we see this group that responds with contention. And uh, for those that may not know kids in the room, uh, youngins, contention just, uh, it's like anger. It's, it's you want to, you want to argue with someone. You want to argue with them. You're, you're angry. You don't like what's being said. And it's just, it's provoking you to argument. You're, you're angry at whatever is being presented and you want to do nothing but fight. And we see this in verse 47. Look back up there with me. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. So this is the Pharisees' response to the officers, okay? Now we're jumping around a little bit today in the way that we usually walk through the text, but uh, I chose to do this in these categories because I thought it would be helpful for us. Um, but we see here that the Pharisees are responding to these officers. And what are they responding to? Why are they angry? Because why? The officers didn't show up with Jesus. They come back empty-handed. And here, these Pharisees belittle the officers and the people. They start to belittle them, discredit their intelligence. They say, you're not educated like us. You're not trained like us. You don't know the law as well as we do. I mean, clearly what they're doing here is they're putting themselves on higher ground than everyone else. They're saying, we know it all. You don't know anything, so you should do what we say. I mean, their anger and hostility towards Jesus has risen and has now caused them to literally verbally abuse people around them. Because they don't get what they want, they start to speak negative words to other people. They, they start to speak down to those around them. 
They just want to fight. They want to argue. They revert to insults rather than reason. They resort to bullying rather than compassion and composure. They dismiss the claims of others because they claim that their insight transcends all other thoughts. And this is the makeup of those in opposition to the truth of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Their response is one of contention. They have no desire for a true examination of the facts. They only want heated arguments that are driven by anger and hostility to God. See, here what these Pharisees do is they suggest that nobody, nobody should ever believe in Jesus if they have not believed in Jesus themselves. Like somehow their response to the claims of Christ carries more weight than the claims themselves. It's dangerous ground there. And we see this often today. We live in a world where human emotions are given more authority than absolute truths. Where emotions are, are king, how you feel, how you respond to something that trumps the reality of its truthfulness. And let me remind each and every one of us in here today, there is no truth outside of God's truth. John Calvin once wrote, all truth is from God. And consequently, if wicked men have said anything that is true and just, we ought not to reject it, for it has come from God. There's no truth outside of God's truth. God is the author of truth. And our response to those truths do not change the fact that they are true. We must ask God to change our response, to help us to respond rightly to the truths of God. Here we also see the Pharisees' response to Nicodemus' words that we looked at earlier. Look at uh, verse 52. He says, they replied, this is after Nicodemus says to them that they need to do the right thing here. So they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So these guys are so hostile and contentious that they attack their own man. They just go after this man who has... Uh, probably trained with them, has spent a lot of time with them, has learned with them. And they, I mean, they've elevated him to uh, the level of Pharisee. He's, he's made his way there. He, he's there with them. He's been trained. But now all of a sudden, his opinion doesn't matter. They're angry. They're, they don't like what he has to say. Their response to Jesus leads them to mock him when he challenges their way of thinking here. And furthermore, they're wrong anyway. 
They're wrong by saying that no prophet has ever come from Galilee. Jonah was from Galilee. Elijah was from Galilee. And many say that Nahum was from Galilee. And listen, this brings up an important truth. Listen to me. Anger muddies our thoughts. Anger muddies our thoughts, our ways of thinking. We need to be a people of composure when debating and talking with others. A wise man once said, composure is your best ally in an argument. We must be people of composure. Literally something happens to our bodies when we get angry, right? We've all felt that before. And studies show that you do not think clearly. Some of the spouses are going to repent and confess when they leave today on the ride home. We don't think rightly. We say things we don't mean. We do things that we don't want to do. We find ourselves in Romans 7, not doing what we want, doing what we don't want to do. Anger just totally provokes that in us. And listen, I want this to remind us that we don't want to become like these people. We, we need to ask God to help us to hold tight to truth, but also hold tight to our composure. Amen? We must be those types of people. When we're flooded with emotions that we, we really want to just unleash on someone, we must be a people that holds tight, allows the fruit of the Spirit to work in and through us, to be evident in our lives. Listen, if you were here today and you were angry with God, if you're hostile to God, or if you know someone that is hostile, that is angry at God, that just will not receive anything that even looks like truth, like these Pharisees, pray for them. Pray for yourself if you find yourself in that camp. Ask the Lord to remove their rebellion, soften their heart, that they would receive truth. They would respond rightly to the truths of God and that he would graciously save them. Last, I want to close with the response we passed over in verse 41. And that's the confession. Look back up at 41 with me where it says, others said, this is the Christ. Now, we don't get a lot here. We don't see a lot about this confession but we do read that some respond to Christ's claims by saying, this is the Christ. And listen, what a beautiful, simplistic proclamation, right? Jesus is the Christ. 
Jesus is the Savior. He's the Messiah. He is the one who has come to save sinners from the wrath of God that we have due to us because of our sin. Every one of us. But Jesus Christ, he came to give his life a ransom for many, to seek and to save the lost. Brother and sister, if you're a Christian, you were once lost. If you're not a Christian, you are lost. But Jesus Christ has come to do what you could never do. You can never please God with your works. You can never please God by making a lot of money, by doing things for others. You can never please God by anything except for submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ, placing your faith in him and him alone as your substitute, that he died for you, that you need a savior. I need a savior, and I'm jacked up. I need a savior. Praise God, Jesus Christ came to be that for us. Romans 10, 9 through 10, Paul writes, and he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What a wonderful response we see here by this group. Simple confession. Christ is Lord. And this is the one response that leads to present and eternal salvation. If you haven't, if you haven't confessed, if you haven't made the declaration that Jesus is Lord, I just encourage you to do that today. Listen, just as the failure of the Titanic's crew led to just devastation, drastic fate, even more failure in our response to Jesus has eternal damnation, destruction. We, we must respond to the claims of our Savior, the God-man, Jesus Christ, in the right way, or we will be doomed. I want to conclude here by just quickly looking at an important reality. It's just presented in verses 43, 44 as a final application as we close our time. Just look there quickly with me. It says, so there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one lays, laid hands on him. So listen, truth divides. Truth divides. I mean, here we see a division in people. 
Because Christ has just proclaimed the truth. Some respond this way, some respond that way, and some respond over here. There's a division here. Listen, a right response to Jesus always leads to division. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. And R.C. Sproul sums this up well, I think, when he says, quote, doctrine divides, but doctrine also unites. It binds together the hearts of God's people who celebrate the truths of God together. So as you may be divided from the world, brothers and sisters, you are united as God's people in Christ. We're brought together as the family of God that we will live eternally in his presence, worshiping him in splendor and glory forever. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. A right response to the claims of Jesus is fundamental in our unity. And it is essential for our destiny. Church, may we be a people that never give up our efforts to rightly respond to the claims of Christ. And may we be a people that rightly tell others to do the same. And we be bold in our evangelism. And we speak the truth in love as we point to Christ as the only living hope for this world. Let us pray.